All right, I think we're at nine right now. So why don't we go ahead and get started? Hey. So welcome to the Philemon Project seminar number two. Today, we're gonna to have a panel discussion with our four co-leaders. And the topic is gonna to be Philemon as a call to Christian unity. So my name is Rhiannon Evangelista. I've been a member at InTown for about seven years now, and I'm gonna moderate the discussion. Before we get started, I'd like to ask the four panelists to just briefly introduce themselves, just in case there are people who are joining for the first time today. Um, so maybe, could we start with you, please, Luke? Yes, good morning uh, in town and anyone that snuck in that we don't know, good morning to you. Uh, Luke uh, Bobo is my name. Um, I live in Shawnee, Kansas, just outside of uh, Kansas City, Missouri, and I know the the great Jimmy Agin from my days at Covenant Seminary, he taught me Greek. I have a love for Greek and I have a love for bow ties. I'm not wearing one today. I'm sorry, Jimmy, I let you down. Right. So glad to be here. Thurman, could you introduce yourself, please? Sure, I'm Thurman Williams. I'm a teaching elder pastor in St. Louis, Missouri um, in a church plant started about a year and a half ago called New City West End. And I know Jimmy as he was one of my preaching professors in the D-Men program on preaching the New Testament. So thankful for that, for that and for him. That's great. Stephen. Yeah, I am Stephen Gilchrist. I live here in the Metro. I am on staff with uh, Atlanta Westside Presbyterian Church as their church planting apprentice. And um, I don't really have a Jimmy story, but I, I can say, <laughs> Uh, I, I have not met a brother that wears so many bow ties and looks so sharp. <laughs> I really haven't. Thanks. Okay, Jimmy. Yeah, my name is Jimmy Agan. I am one of the pastors here at InTown Community Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And I have to be honest, Thurman, when I think of you, I think more of, um, of us teaching, preaching classes together, <laughs> um, not, not of you as students. So, um, Glad to have relationships with all these guys that have been growing over the years and uh, excited to be doing this work together. Yeah. Great, thank you. So um, we're going to have a panel discussion. I'm gonna give questions to the panelists and they'll all get an opportunity to respond to those questions. Uh, we will also be taking questions from the audience. So if you think of a question, what we'd like you to do is write it in the chat. We'd like you to send it to Andrew Flatguard. So if you go over to the chat feature in Zoom, you'll see that the default setting is to send it to everyone, but right next to everyone, there's a little arrow and you can select the arrow and you can go through the participants and find Andrew Flatguard. So if you could send your questions to him and he will gather them together and send them on to uh, me and to the panelists. So I'm going to put that uh, information in the chat to everyone right now. There we go. So you don't have to remember it. And uh, before we get started with the questions, I would like us to open in prayer. So I was wondering, Luke, if you could open us in prayer this morning. Absolutely, let's, let's pray. Lord, that song that was playing in the background, um, the background music, as it were, on Zoom. God, you are altogether lovely. You're so, so beautiful. 
You're so, so good. And Lord, you, you demonstrated how beautiful and how good you are by sending your, your son to a cross. He became, as Paul would write, he became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Amazing love, amazing mercy, amazing grace. Lord, help us to, to live each and every moment of each day in response to your goodness. And that means having difficult conversations. That means being a peacemaker. That means seeking reconciliation. That means saying, I'm sorry. And so Lord, I pray that you just be in the room, the Zoom room. And we don't have to even say that because you're omnipresent. You're, you're everywhere at the same time. So just guide our discussion. May it be honest and glorifying to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So um, I will ask questions and I'm going to ask one panelist to go first, but I do want this to be a discussion. So feel free to jump in if you have something um, to say, if one of the other panelists has something to say. And um, if you don't really feel like going first on this particular question, feel free to pass it along to somebody else as well. I'm going to use that pass feature quite a bit. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for four panelists. All right. Yes. Amen. I'm excited about this. So our first question related to Philemon and unity. So Philemon is a short book and it's often a neglected part of the Bible. We don't read it very much. We might think of it even as a bit controversial, but it does talk about how followers of Jesus can build unity. So our first question has two parts. What kind of unity was this letter calling for in its own day, in its own time? And what does that look like for us today? So what was it calling for in its own time? And what does that look like for us today? Um, you can answer part or all of this question to get us started. Um, let's see, Stephen, would you like to go first? Uh, sure, I'll take a stab at it. So uh, I would argue that this book is calling for a community that's based on humility. Mm -hmm. um, to, to see a man who is an apostle refer to himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. in, a, in a day and age where labels and intellectualism run our society, they, they are the means by which we garner our rep. They are the means by which we can um, solicit a sense of pro productivity. And they can sometimes be helpful, but also be hurtful, right? Um, the, the other piece that we have to consider is what should humility actually point us to? Or really the question is who? So if we are people who are in submission and in allegiance to Jesus the Messiah, then our, our sense of community is built and based on that, right? And that actually leads to uh, your second question of what that can look like today. To know that God saves Hebrews of Hebrews, Pharisees of Pharisees, uh, men from the, from the Roman culture, a, a slave from Phrygia, 
This is the extent and the power of the gospel. Mm. And because he's been saving people like that, he can still save people like that. And that humility ought to drive us to to want to love and humble ourselves and be like Christ, have the mindset of Christ Philippians too, to to practice that sense of community with one another. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Luke, do you have something to add to that? I do, in fact. Um, that's a great response, uh, Stephen. So this past week, I just taught I taught a ethics class online through Zoom. So, you know, I'm a big fan of Zoom. Mm. It was two and a half hours in the morning and two and a half hours mm. in the afternoon uh, ethics to people at crew uh, station in Florida. Mm. And I would add, I would add this. Uh, one of the questions that I was given was, what does it mean to bear false witness? The commandment number nine. And what it means is this, stated positively, it means to tell the truth about someone. So all that to say, unity cannot happen if we're not willing to call sin, sin, wrong, wrong. We, we cannot, as Jeremiah say, peace, peace, when there's no peace. Hmm. And we, we do the church an injustice when we, I think, I think it's in one of the pastoral letters, and you can Google me, you can fact check me, but I think it talks about the church as a pillar of truth. Are we people of truth? Do we tell the truth about another? We're, we're told to tell it, we should say it graciously and season with salt, but we're not going to have true unity if we're not willing to tell the truth and receive the truth. Mm -hmm. Telling and receiving the truth. Yeah. Do, do you think that's part of what, um, what Paul was, was dealing with in the letter to Philemon? Yeah. He, he says that he's more than a, he's more than a slave. Yeah. He's a brother. Right. So but Paul is speaking the truth about, yeah, who, yeah, Brian Stevenson, uh, the, the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative, says something like, I'm going to butcher this quote. He said, we're all more than our, we're all more than our mistake. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good point. Thurman, do you have something you'd like to add about what Philemon tells us about unity in its own day and what it means for us today? Yeah, just adding, I mean, those are great, great answers already. Um, one of the things I think about is it's a, a, a subversive challenge by Paul um, to the social structures of that day. Um, and there's lots of family language in Philemon. This is my yep. son. I was his father. Yep. He's your yep. brother. Um, but that's cutting across the slave master relation and mm -hmm. saying that in Christ, we're going to relate in a new way. Mm -hmm. And that's different than the world around us um, tends to relate. And, uh, and I say it's subversive. Sometimes I get mad at Philemon, I don't know if, or, or at, that, at that letter, because I'm like, Paul, come out and say it harder, man. <laughs> but, but he's working within his context. Mm -hmm. um, and it is still a powerful challenge and a call 
um, to live out that when he talks about in Galatians 3, there's no slave or free or male, female, um, Greek or Jew in the sense of, of keeping them away from Christ or in the family of God. Mm. People are still, I mean, they, they're still those things. Yeah. You don't eliminate the distinctions um, for the sake of unity, but those things are not a barrier to being unified anymore. Yeah. Jimmy, do you have something to add? Uh, thanks. I'm, I'm loving learning from all of you guys. Uh, we've been doing that for months together, talking about some of these things and sharpening each other. And, and it's great to continue that this morning. Um, I want to pick up on something that Luke uh, said. He talked about the need to be honest. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think one of the ways that this little letter of Philemon is honest is it, it uses the word slave, right? There's Paul isn't trying to dance around the reality of the brokenness of his world. Um, he, he is naming it for what it is. And um, and I see that happening also later in the text where he says uh, in verse 18 of Philemon, if he, that is Onesimus, has wronged you, that is Philemon, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Mm -hmm. And so there's another moment of honesty. Hey, I recognize there's some brokenness in this relationship between the two of you. And I'm not just calling, you know, I'm not saying hold hands and and uh, sing a Sunday kumbaya. school, right? Not, not a time for a verse of kumbaya. Uh, we're going to be honest and say something happened to disrupt the relationship between the two of you. And, and now here's the unity being called for in the first century and in our day, a unity that says, even though I'm not part of that broken relationship, I will pay the cost to heal it. I will bear a price. I, I will... It, this kind of unity is costly yeah. and I am willing for it to cost me something so that the two of you can be reconciled. And, and we have to ask the question, where did the apostle Paul learn to think like that? Yeah. Where did he learn to think like, like it would be a good thing to be willing to bear a cost to reconcile people to one another, even when you weren't responsible for the breaking of the relationship. Is this the clue, Jimmy? Uh, that's a clue. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's the, there's the, just the, the fabric of the cross uh, woven in here. Um, and, and that unity that is supposed to show up in the first century and the 21st century of uh, being willing to, to pay a price to undo damage that's broken relationships. Amen. If I could add one other thought, it would be this, and, and I'm going to be a little bit boring. Um, so one of the things that we learned together in, in, in reading Greek, uh, Luke, <laughs> is, um, is to really pay attention to the details of a text. And uh, so I, I read through verse two of Philemon and, and Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, greets the church that is meeting in the home of Philemon. He greets the church and the word church um, is not one that you and I would spend much time thinking about these days. Christians are accustomed to talking about church and hearing about church, but that word means assembly. It implies a lot of different people coming together. So already the word for church implies unity. Hmm. It implies people who normally aren't together coming together. 
Now, what's interesting in the first century context is that lots of gatherings were called churches. Um, lots of gatherings were used, uh, were referred to by using this Greek word, but normally those were political gatherings. And in a political gathering in the first century in the Roman Empire, who was gathering? Who was the church? Who was the assembly getting together? Well, it only included uh, men, no women. It only included adults, no children. And it only included free people, no slaves. So, so here is Paul using that word and saying, you're accustomed to lots of churches gathering in your cities and in your villages and your towns. You're accustomed to these assemblies coming together, but they, they aren't very diverse. And, and God is starting a new kind of assembly, a new kind of gathering, a new kind of church where brothers and sisters come together, where there are fathers and children, and where master and slave are now brothers. And so there, there's, a, a as, as Thurman mentioned, this kind of subversive uh, language that sounds to us uh, very um, sort of churchified right? Christianese, brother, sister, was actually very radical to be saying in the first century context, hey, when you get people together who aren't used to coming together in assemblies, in, in gatherings, in our culture, it's going to cut across these lines, and it's going to be hard work, and we're going to have to bear a price. We're going to have to pay a cost to learn how to love each other across all these lines, and yeah. uh, it doesn't take much to know that that that's, uh, it's still hard work today uh, in the 21st century. And that's not fair. Jimmy did some preaching there. <laughs> <laughs> He's the we, pastor, man. He can't help himself. Okay. He, he can't help it. He, he cannot. Okay. All right. That's that's the way it is. Okay. I understand. <laughs> and, you know, if, if I could add to that, I, I think what Jimmy is saying is on point because what tends to get left out of, of a lot of our understanding of the New Testament, really the entire Bible, is the ethical expectation. Hmm. This, this isn't a ethical uh, choice, right? This isn't like a take it or leave it, multiple choice. No, um, the church that meets in your house is also to welcome this brother. Hmm. You are to love him. You are to treat him like he is now someone who has been bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So you don't just say it, you now have to live it. You don't just talk it, you have to walk it out. Yeah, that's a good point. Amen. That nicely. We, we, we may not get to very many questions. <laughs> okay, it's okay. We'll get to question two right now. There's only Dang. three. So this has to do with challenges, challenges to unity. So there's three questions mm. in this question. The first is, in your experience, what are some of the most significant challenges to Christian unity in general, to unity among Christians of different races in particular? And how do Philemon and related scripture texts point to resources to overcome those challenges? <laughs> so unity in general, uh, unity among Christians of different races in particular, and how, how does Philemon and other scripture texts point us to resources to help us overcome challenges? Mm. So uh, maybe Luke, you could go first this time. Oh boy, what a loaded question. <laughs> Yes. Tell the truth, brother. 
Okay, so I may not be invited back, so let me start. So I told my ethics class this week. Uh, I was the only African American. There was another person of color, a, a student. And I said this, African Americans are just weary of explaining to white Christians what to do because we read the same Bible and we have the same Holy Spirit. I don't know what the barrier is. I, I, I want us to just sit with that statement. We read the same Bible. We have the same Holy Spirit. Why can't our white brothers and sisters figure it out? Is it, is it a misunderstanding what the Bible says? I, I have a great book that I'm, I could, this is a shameless plug. It's on how to interpret the Bible. Your, your pastor wrote the forward to it. But I know you're getting good, good teaching from this pastor. He's, he's a scholar. I, I, is it? Is it not having to want to? I, I just leave it. I just leave it there. I, I, I'm just baffled, actually. Now, and I should say this, and then I'll turn it over. And I might not say anything else. Um, I remember this um, white pastor who passes on the West Coast said something like this. He thinks the credibility of the church is going to be won or lost based on how it deals with this race problem. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think he's wrong. I think the church has struggled with the PR problem for many, many years. And so we need to ask the question, how do we contribute to that poor PR, that poor reputation of the church? So I'll just leave it there. Can, can yeah, I jump in? And Go ahead. Maybe transition from Luke to hearing from Thurman and Stephen. And, and I think what I want to do for a minute is just is just to pastor everybody. Um, because I, I last March is when this got hard for me. Um, so I, I grew up in a family that was by the standards of rural South Carolina and not racist. Um, I grew up in a family where um, some of my, my parents' closest friends were, were black. I went to public schools nearly my whole life and was typically in the minority in my school setting as a white person. I wasn't a minority in terms of, of uh, cultural power in the community, but just in terms of numbers. Um, so I thought I knew something about how to listen to African-American friends. But last March, it got really hard for me for the first time because I think last March is the first time I just sat down and said, I know a lot of friends who are feeling a lot of pain that I just don't understand. 
things that read to me like news stories impact my black brothers and sisters like like funeral announcements. There's a different kind of grief going on here. Why is that? And frankly, it can hurt the first time you hear someone say what Luke just said. Right? It it if it can knock you back several steps to go wait wait a second. Why 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 is my brother hurting so much? And why do I not understand that any better than I do? Like Luke said, I'm I'm an educated guy. I'm a scholar. I should understand stuff, but why am I not understanding this? And so the first time you stop and listen well, it can really, it can really hurt. Um, because I, I think sometimes in the in the white Christian community, we we tell a lot of stories about the progress we've made, right? When somebody comes to in-town, uh, minorities who first come to in-town, their first question is, why are there so many white people here? When white people first visit in-town, one of the first things they notice is, man, this is a pretty diverse church. I just listened to a testimony this morning of a Korean American pastor and um, a big part of his calling to serve on the, the staff of a uh, majority white Presbyterian church is an experience he had here at InTown. That sounds great. Man, God is using us. Well, the problem is the way God used us was to freak him out. <laughs> he showed up in and, and this majority white context and somebody was playing a banjo. And um, my, my, my. and it really, it, it was a new cultural experience for him. Yeah. And, and God used that to call him into a new kind of ministry setting. So mm. God is using our church, but not because we're getting stuff right, <laughs> but he's using our church anyway. And so I just want to take a minute to say to anybody who, if, if you haven't heard folks saying the kinds of things that you just heard Luke say, um, pause a little longer and press a little deeper because in my experience every minority I've talked to over the past year has said similar things to what I've just heard Luke say Yeah. and the Thank first you. few times you hear it it, it it can hurt and go pretty deep but the gospel is good at healing when I, when I shared on the last day of class about race to my uh, ethics class I put up a slide and I said, we're, we're going to park here for two or three minutes. I want you just to reflect on the words. Too often in our culture, we're, we're quick to say, like my barber would say, suck it up, buttercup, and get on with it. But we need to sit with those who are hurting. More than it takes time for you to warm up something in the microwave. pause, reflect, sit, think about it, hurt. So I'm not going to speak anymore on this call. <laughs> I've talked, I've talked enough. Oh, man. Well, thank you both. Um, Thurman, is there something you'd like to add to challenges to Christian unity? Um, and Philemon and related scriptures, how it points us towards resources to overcome those challenges? 
Well, um, one thing we definitely need to hear more from from Luke. So this can't <laughs> that can't be the last thing that he says on the call. I'll, I'll just issue a gag order on myself. <laughs> we need to hear from you. Uh, when when you first asked that, I thought of um, <sighs> like in a general sense. Um, I like Ken Sandy, who wrote Peacemaker, has these categories of of peace um, faking and mm. peace breaking, and then peacemaking is obviously the one that you want. But the peace faking, that's, that's kind of what we experience a lot in a Christian circle. And that is, for the sake of unity, let's not talk about anything hard. Mm. And that's, let's not delve into anything hard so that it appears that there's no conflict. But, mm. but underneath, there's a lot of wounded, uh, woundedness that needs healing. And then when you particularly apply that in racial settings, what it feels like is if you want to be a part of us, Leave your pain at the door mm. or leave your issues at the door. Don't bring them in. Mm -hmm. um, or just the idea of bringing things up. Mm. People feel like, you know, that's, that's disrupting unity. Um, or like that's one thing. Or if you bring up issues of race and justice or whatever, um, maybe these guys can identify your, your label as now you're moving on from the gospel. Or now you're a critical race, critical theory. race theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're yeah, you're yeah, intersection. Yeah. You're you're all these things. You're liberalism. Yeah. You you've yeah. gone off the slippery slope, um, and it shuts down the conversation. And, and even more than that, like it it shuts down um, what's going on inside. Like I appreciate so much what Jimmy said a few minutes ago, and that is that that when these things happen in news stories, it doesn't feel like they're out there, like to an African American. You feel like it's happening to you or you feel like it's in your family, or you feel like that could be my son. Um, and so one of the blessings we've had is to be able to sit in a space where we could talk about that. And there's unity that comes because we have that safety mm. to be able to talk about those things and, and work through them. And Jimmy doesn't receive them as an accusation, or even if it is uncomfortable, like he doesn't leave, like he sits with us yeah. and we can, we can talk about that. So that's all I'm going to say. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> I'm not speaking anymore unless Luke does. Let's turn to Steve. Wow. This is so, so much pressure. Uh, I think you're our spokesperson. Stephen, you're our spokesperson. Yeah. So I would say um, in America, we side more with American history than we do biblical history. Mm. Yeah. We have more of an American origin than we do a biblical origin. So, on one hand, I think uh, Christians at large, especially evangelicalism, argues for the Imago Dei when it comes to babies. We do not argue for the Imago Dei when it comes to teens to adults of various ethnicities, right, and various issues. So that, that's a problem. I think we, we have a love for our country to the extent that it overshadows our love for the word of God and the kingdom and what all Jesus is doing. Um, resources. As I was uh, listening to my brother here speak, I think we need to be like the Bereans in the book mm -hmm. of Acts. Amen. We need to be people who are willing to study the word and, and listen to what people say and just test it. Just be, just be, be, be willing to say, hey, this, this brother here probably didn't mean anything malicious by it, 
but he got it wrong, right? To, to tell someone, I know I, when I say this, at least the four of us will know who I'm talking about, but for a pastor of a well-known church to say, hey, you can't be Christian if you don't vote Republican. Well, that's, that's not something you, you ought to say in the church and, and to use in the sense of like the Bible is backing that because it's not. Um, a, another resource I think would be Pentecost. Mm-hmm. Man, have we, have we truly been able to relish the fact that so many people came to faith in the midst of looking at men and saying, Man, are these guys drunk? And yet they, they were able to hear the gospel truth having come from various areas. And they were all Jews. Now just imagine what, what that would look like just here in America to understand that there are far more Christians in the East than there are in the West. Christianity has been global since the very beginning. This is not an American thing, right? Um, I think we need, we need resources like that to constantly remind us, to constantly encourage us, and to just tell the truth. Like, like Luke said, hey, Christianity started in Africa and then spread. So we, we've been a part of a global family mm-hmm. for so long. So to make this American base is really to, to not tell the truth. Thank you. Yes, I, I'd like to call on um, Luke see if he has something else to say. And then I also had a question, maybe I can tag it on and and Luke can answer it very briefly. What is critical race theory? Mm. But Luke, do you have something else you wanna add? Let me add this, uh, let me answer the first question. Uh, The second question. (laughs) So I wrote a book, it's called Race, Economics and Apologetics. It's about 50 pages. It was a lecture that converted to a book I'm laughing to keep from crying, actually. Because a white friend in Minnesota, he said, Luke, Luke, how dare you write that book from a critical race theory framework? I said, Bob, I have no knowledge of critical race theory. And that's the honest truth. I, I want you to hear me very clearly. I, I don't know a thing about critical race theory. So I, I, I can't answer that question, but I will want, I, I do want to say this. I, and I think Stephen and um, Thurman would back me up here. There's some things very wrong with the black church too. Man, yeah. And I I want you guys to hear that very clearly. And for me to say that is very risky. For Thurman and Stephen to be in a predominantly white denomination, they probably have been called Uncle Tom's, Mm. traitors. (laughs) Sellout. Sellouts. Mm. I was called Uncle Tom when I led the Schaefer Institute at Covenant Seminary. Look, why are, you, why are you using your gifts at this predominantly white institution? And so in many ways, I don't feel like I have a home anywhere. Wow. Yeah. The, the white church, I'm too, I'm, I'm too direct. <laughs> <laughs> the black church, 
you're not one of us because you don't tow the party line. And so I feel like a nomad mm. many times. Oh, my, my. And I think Stephen and Thurman probably have gotten similar accusations. You're Uncle Tom, you're a sellout. So we're paying the cost, in other words. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yes. So you're saying critical race theory has been mostly an accusation thrown at you rather than. Yeah. And I think, I think. I think Satan is is a mastermind. I think he threw out critical race theory as a decoy mm -hmm. to distract us from the real thing. Hmm. And I think we all have fallen for it, quite frankly. Yeah. If I could add to that, I, I would define critical race theory as a, a seeking of human liberation that started from um, lawyers and legal scholars uh, during the civil rights movement. Uh, men like Derek Bell, for example, uh, just trying to find ways to to seek out human liberation as it pertains to race and racism. Um, now, the the good thing is that sin is rampant everywhere, and if anyone ever tells you that total depravity is not true, uh, they just they've just shown you that it is true. Uh, the, the, That's good. The other side of that is. Um, Sin doesn't just lie at the feet of the oppressor. Hmm. It lies at the feet of the oppressed as well. And so um, black, black folk, black church can't just say, well, white people are the ones who need to get it right. It's actually a human problem, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think we all believe that. Hmm. I just don't think we can, we tend to remember that or can be consistent in our, in our statements and our thoughts. And, and I mean, again, I mentioned it and Luke did too. Um, we, we can sometimes treat one partisan party as if this is what Jesus backed when he didn't, right? Uh, so like Luke, I can be too progressive for one side and too conservative for the other side. And, and I'm really okay with that because I don't, I, I don't, I don't weigh the flag of any political party and, and I don't really think the Christians should. I think we ought to be people of the kingdom who can speak to both sides and not be so, um, I was going to use the word bipolar, but that's not the right <laughs> word. We shouldn't be so binary. How about mm. that? That's a good word. That's a really good yeah. word. I like that. That's good. Well, let's um, move on to, to question number three, uh, because it relates to exactly some of the things that have come up, and that is the topics of the Philemon Project can get deep and sensitive very quickly. That might create tension, which could feel like it is undermining our unity as God's people. Mm. So it could feel that way. What might you say to someone wrestling with this particular concern? <laughs> Luke, I'll let you go. <laughs> oh boy. I, I think it was Dr. King who said, peace doesn't mean absence of conflict. One of the, I think one of the idols, and I learned this from my good friend, Jerem Bars at Covenant Seminary, one of the idols we struggle with in America is the idol of comfort. They're, to say that to be uncomfortable is undermining the pursuit of unity and peace, I would say that person doesn't know their Bible. What, what did it, what did it cost Christ? Was, was that comfortable? 
And I'm reminded of um, a friend of mine who said, learning doesn't happen until there's a major disruption. Yeah. Someone called it epistemological raptures. <laughs> Sounds good. Mm. Hurting. Sounds like Carl Ellis. Yeah. <laughs> you, 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 learning doesn't start until you are made uncomfortable. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I think some people have a choice in this country not to be made uncomfortable, but not everyone has that choice. I'll just leave it, leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. Th there's another quote that I know that's similar from an educator who says that um, to lean into the awkwardness when awkwardness happens, because awkwardness is where real education happens. Real education happens in awkwardness. Okay, that's a, that's, um, that's a mic drop uh, statement. There, you just dropped the mic. <laughs> but I'm I'm actually going to pass it to Thurman right now. But I, I appreciate your point, Thurman. What 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 would you have to to add? Um, man, I lost, what was that question? Sorry, so the question <laughs> is, this topic that, that the Philemon Project brings up yeah. can get sensitive, it can create tension, people can be afraid that this will undermine unity. And what would you say to someone who's struggling with that concern? Yeah, I was thinking of, I'm a w former wannabe athlete that's, that's torn Achilles and I tore up my knee and had to have surgery on those. Mm -hmm. And and in those things, there the the healing had to had to have um, a cut, and then a rehab process afterward in order to be healed, um, or they weren't going to be healed. And that reminds me of this conversation. I mean, I, I'm a conflict avoider by nature, honestly. Yeah, yeah. But me too. But like, I hope it brings up these things. I hope it brings up tensions. I hope it brings up things that we struggle with, because that's where healing and growth is going to come. Um, Jesus, when he's talking with the John the disciple, John the Baptist disciples, at the very end, you know, John's wondering, are you the one who's supposed to come or, or should we expect somebody else? Um, and then he tells them, go back and look at what you've seen and heard. And at the very end, he says, blessed is the one who is not scandalized or not offended by me. Um, meaning not, meaning feeling the offense, but receiving it. And, and sitting in it and letting it change you rather than rejecting him because of the offense that the gospel naturally brings. Mm. The gospel brings offense and tension yeah. because it says you can't save yourself. You're not good enough to do that. You need Christ, you need grace to do that. Mm. And so I hope that's the kind of tension that's created um, and that comes about through the, through the series. Now you see why this is a nine week series. <laughs> We have a lot to say. Yeah. Good words, Great. Thurman. Good words. Uh, Stephen, would you like to add to that? Yeah, I'm, I just want to read a, a text for us uh, in response to your question. Mm. And do not be conformed to this world, mm. but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yeah. So that you may prove what it what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Um you want if you want to be comfortable the kingdom of god is not for you yeah that's why the scripture says count the cost i think that's somewhere in the bible too isn't it yes mm -hmm. yes count the cost 
Count the cost before you start the project. <laughs> Count the cost be before you become a disciple. Mm -hmm. I, I think I think we got discipleship wrong in this country as well. Mm. Mm. Discipleship wrong. Talk about it. Um, could you say just thirty seconds more on what you just said, Luke? What do you mean that we've got? Oh, that's a that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> so Carl Ellis, uh, you heard Stephen and Thurman mention Carl Ellis, who I, I just adore. This man, he and his wife Karen. And if you haven't heard of Karen Ellis and Carl Ellis, Google their names. Um, but uh, Carl says, we should consider or think of evangelism as pre-discipleship. In other words, we should be giving folks a heads up that this is a costly life. Secondly, Discipleship in our country has been more about knowledge transfer versus life on life, apprenticeship type discipleship. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean. And I've said it before, I said it at Covenant when I was invited back to speak. We don't have a, we don't have a problem with knowing. Mm -hmm. We have a problem with doing. Yeah. And, and in God's economy, you, now, this is really going to get me fired. You can't, you can't claim to know God if you don't do God's word and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, knowing is doing. Thank you. And that was very- And I'm from, one last thing. I'm from the show me state. Uh -oh. God, <laughs> says, God says, show me that you know me by imitating me. Mm -hmm. Yes. Jimmy, would you like to add to, to this? Yeah, I, I would. Um, I think, you know, we, in some ways we've come full circle back to, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul telling the truth and saying, hey, there's an issue here. Um, rather than just saying you two guys are brothers, I'm going to say in the eyes of the Roman Empire, one of you is a master and one is a slave. Um, I'm going to speak into that hard truth and I'm going to tell the truth about a broken relationship. Uh, Philemon, you think you have been wronged and I'm willing to pay the cost to help overcome that rupture in the relationship. And so that honesty um, rather than avoidance. Um, I, I, I do want to encourage us by saying uh, if, if many of us have gotten discipleship wrong, and if we've been slow to do and slow to fully realize the implications of what scripture demands of us, we are not the first generation of Christians to whom that has happened. So in Luke chapter 9, um, Jesus says, uh, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. So here are Jesus' 12 apostles hearing him say, this is going to cost me something. I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be delivered and betrayed and given over to death. And they're afraid to ask him what he means because they're afraid to understand what it means for them. 
And so this is followed up by a string of failures. They start arguing about who's the greatest, and Jesus teaches them patiently. And then uh, John says, hey, there was a guy driving out demons in your name. Should we tell him to quit? And Jesus corrects him. And then Jesus is rejected by a village of Samaritans. And James and John are like, can we be the ones to call down fire from heaven to consume them? And Jesus says, no, (laughs) and moves on. And so they, they, they don't really want to understand the implications of Jesus being Jesus for them. But what I'm shocked by is that Jesus doesn't just walk away from them. Right. He doesn't say you guys don't have the courage to even understand. You don't even want to know what the words I just spoke mean for you. And and instead of just blowing them off. He sticks with them despite failure after failure after failure, and he keeps moving to Jerusalem to pay the price to redeem them. And uh, to 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 rise from the dead, which is what opens up the gateway for the Holy Spirit to be poured out, and now real deep transformation can begin. And so if, if we are believers who are sometimes afraid to understand the implications of following Jesus, we aren't the first ones. Hmm. And, and he knows our weakness, and he, he knew it before the world was created, and yet he is not ashamed to call us his own, and, and he isn't ashamed to call us to discipleship, even though our, our doing doesn't always match our knowing. And even though sometimes we don't have the courage to fully know, right? They were afraid to ask him. They did not understand and they were afraid. So there, there's hope in here for, for the, the grace of Jesus to be very patient with disciples who are slow learners. And, um, and what I've been finding over the past year is that I've, I've been slow to learn. The main thing I've been slow to learn is, is how deeply my black brothers and sisters in the United States are really hurting. Um, one of the reasons I don't like learning that is it makes me uncomfortable. Aaron Layton and his book, Dear White Christian, great book, by the way. Um, he, he identifies several things that, that make it hard for white Christians in the United States to, to have conversations about race with our black brothers and sisters. And one of the things he points to is we don't know what to do about it. And it's uncomfortable to to diagnose a problem when you don't know how to fix it. But I think one of the things I'm learning from Luke, from Stephen, from Thurman is these brothers don't expect me to have the solution to the problems. I think they're encouraged when I just sit and listen and, and, and share the hurt of the problem. Um, and I think that that will go a long way to working us toward solutions. If one of the solutions is I don't know, and I sometimes don't want to know because it makes me uncomfortable, um, then to sit and hold that discomfort together and share that pain and trust Jesus to really stick with us, even when we've been slow to grow and slow to learn, um, he's gracious and patient with us. And he helps us to be gracious and patient with one another. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's just so much grace to be found in, in him. And, it, and it's exactly that grace that keeps me going. That, that continues to give me hope. 
the grace that he forgives my knuckleheadedness and the grace because of that, that compels me to keep, to, to keep at it. Yeah. Amen, brother. When I want to just give up and just take my ball and go back home. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Because there's, there is a question that is, that has come in that's related to that kind of what is a, um, a biblical and Christian way forward, um, related to this. And I think we've, we've brought up a few of these few things already in this discussion, but would anyone like to, um, like to address that? Um, what is, you know, there are a lot of ideas out there about how to deal with um, racial issues in the United States. What might be a, a biblical way of talking about that? But I'm going to let Thurman go first, and then I'm going to call on, on Luke. Goodness. Um, thanks. <laughs> there, there, you can come up with an exhaustive list, but there's two things that come to mind, and maybe yeah. that they're of, of great resources that we have that are underutilized by us. And one is this whole idea of lament. Mm -hmm. and, and if you think about the Psalms, mm -hmm. so many of them are, are lament, whether they're individual or their community laments. Mm -hmm. But that's something I know even for myself, that's, that's something I'm still learning to be able to sit in. Mm -hmm. and, and particularly over the last year, there have been a lot of times to just lament mm -hmm. and, and not fix it yet but let me express what I'm experiencing mm -hmm. here. I don't need you to fix it yet. Mm -hmm. I just want to lament the way that things are. And that is uncomfortable. Um, but I think it's biblical. The whole book of Lamentations mm -hmm. is, is lament. Mm -hmm. um, and the hope is just in the middle of the book. And then there's more lament. Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing in terms of resources and in the way forward is, is the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. and recovering the the, the doctrine of the spirit. Jesus says, how much more will I give my Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so we need the Holy Spirit. If you think about prayer, what does the scripture say about the spirit in prayer? He's able to help us in our weakness when we don't know what to say. And, and how often, what subject do we have where we don't know what to say more than race, <laughs> right? And yeah. so the spirit is able to help us in the midst of our weakness. And he's able to give us power to let those fruits of the spirit be seen mm. of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Like they're seen in community um, with each other. And so there's, there's more, but there's two things just there um, that we can draw on. Thank you. Thank you. Luke, do you want to briefly add to that? Very briefly. Come close and listen. Mm. Jesus came close, Emmanuel with us, and he listened. I'm done. That's great. Um, so two things. I'm going to ask Stephen if he wants to contribute to this as well. Um, but one thing I want to remind everyone is that Thurman's going to be preaching um, at the service at 1045. What? You didn't know that? What? <laughs> No, um, be you ready, Stephen. Be ready, Stephen. <laughs> you can find the link to the worship service on the in-town website. 
Um, and I'd like to invite uh, Stephen to do two things if you want to uh, contribute to that idea of, of mm -hmm. what's a, a biblical way forward. Mm -hmm. um, and then also, if you could just briefly close us in prayer, I would appreciate that. Yeah, I'd be delighted. Uh, a biblical way forward. <sighs> Man, um, I think we have to start with the fact that we're all brothers and sisters in the family of God. Yeah. This is the only reason why you have four men from around the country willing to come together and wade through such a heavy book in such a heavy time. Mm -hmm. It is because Jesus saves <laughs> and he has saved us. Mm. And so we have the word of God. We have Emmanuel. We have mm. um, this Holy Spirit. We have the community mm. of, of God's assembly. Um, that's what's pushing us, I think. That's what's been this re reoccurring theme every time we would Zoom. Um, so, so, you know, don't lose sight of all that God has done and he is doing. I mean, we are going to look like our savior mm -hmm. and, and we're being renewed and transformed day by day, 2 Corinthians says. And so be encouraged by that. Know that this is for our good, this is to the glory of God that we have these discussions and, and, and see it as such and believe it as such. And then to pray that, mm -hmm. you know, pray that for yourself, pray that for your brothers and your sisters to know that, you know, iron sh sharpens iron. Well, this is not just something to put on a coffee cup. This <laughs> is something to actually do, right? And we get a chance to do that. And uh, it'd be a pleasure to close us in prayer. So if, if everybody would do me a favor and just look down. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just kidding. Go ahead and uh, close your eyes. Lord, <laughs> thank you. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to, to talk about hot topics mm -hmm. and lose sight of how the word of God has addressed so much. Yeah. How the word of God has brought unity to a depth that man never could. And how our unity, our hope is eternal. Lord, make it so in our minds. Help us to believe that. Help us to trust you. When we're looking at people, we're not sure if we can trust them and what they're saying and, and how it makes us feel. Lord, help us to also be preoccupied with how this honors you. And so I pray that this morning we've done just that. And as we gather later uh, together in person and online, May we honor you. May we bring you glory. May we, may we shout praises upon your name as we get to see brother and sister worshiping the one and true Messiah. All these things we pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody on Zoom said, Amen. 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 Well, thank you to all the panelists. I just realized... Um, there was a clarifying question we didn't answer, which is what is the Imago Dei? That's the image of God, the idea that everybody is made in the image of God. So um, Jimmy, is there any, any last thing you'd like to say? I just wanna say thank you to all the panelists and everybody who has submitted questions and has been thinking about these issues. Yep, just wanna echo that thanks and say thanks to Rhiannon as well. Thanks for yes. leaving us. You're welcome, Great job fun. Thank you. Thank you so you much. You in worship, if you, if you can join us. <laughs>